Hey, everybody. This is Neha Shingane, your host of the Building Our Vision podcast. On this podcast, we talk to people in the ATD Atlanta network and analyze the monumental changes going on in the world today. Together, we try to find ways to learn, grow, and build our vision for the future. This past year has highlighted the gaps and inequalities in our society, especially when it comes to work, who works, and how they work. Today with me is Vindali Vartak. Vindali is a woman of many talents. Originally trained as a dental surgeon, she now works as a senior executive in healthcare by day and by night spends an impressive amount of time volunteering and furthering the causes of self-sufficiency for women and whole child education. Today, we're going to explore the intersection of immigration, gender, and work and find some practical solutions to empower all women in the workplace. So welcome, Vinali. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you, Neha. I'm really excited to be here. And thanks for thinking of me for this. Yes, yes. I'm so excited. This is going to be a great conversation. Um, It's really cool because we have a kind of a personal connection, right? Um, But we've never... uh, been in a work context before so this is gonna be a really fun experience for the both of us I'm really excited yes yeah, same here I think so too Yay. so um okay so in season two of building our vision I am doing things a little bit differently um instead of asking you about your background and you know spending some time on that I have devised a scientific foolproof method of getting to know you okay and it's gonna take five questions and I'm going to know everything that I need to know about you. All right. Scary. (laughs) Yeah. These are very insightful. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Question number one, Mm -hmm. what Harry Potter house would you be? I want to say I would be a Slytherin, but my son's going to call me Hufflepuff. He knows me well, so I'm going to go with Hufflepuff. You're going to go with Hufflepuff? <laughs> Listen to your hat inside of you. You said Slytherin first, and <laughs> I, I Slytherins are scary and powerful, and I love that you just said that. <laughs> okay. Um, what is your most used emoji? LOL. <laughs> I'm a total LOL person. Lol, so, capitalized. Lol. Are you really laughing out loud when you say that? Or <laughs> I am literally. <laughs> I wish I had an emoji to show on a podcast. But yeah. That's funny. Um, okay. What is the fastest that you've ever driven a car? Ooh, can I say this one? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, I, I'm a lawyer, but I'm, <laughs> this well, is not under oath. <laughs> I've always been a, like a, a safe driver. So 85 to 90. Uh, really? Uh, wink, yeah. wink. Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> Um, okay, if you could only have one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? That's an easy one. Coconut water with coconut cream. I can <gasps> do that day long, <laughs> year long. <laughs> that's a that's a, a very healthy um, uh, uh, option. I think somebody uh, that I talked to before said like steak all day long. Oh my God. Breakfast, lunch and dinner, steak. <laughs> but yours is very, yeah. That, and that's I, very I grew tropical. up in coastal India, so my coconut is very close to me. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, okay. And then lastly, what was your favorite pandemic purchase? You know, this is an easy one. Uh, it was definitely books. And if you don't mind me expanding a little bit yeah, on please. that. I have three books that I really want to mention here. Um, and three of them are associated with people I know, which makes them special. And also that those topics were very close. And in fact, related to our conversation today, Neha, um, well, first one is the Baritsis. Uh, it's based on life of Vikas Khanna, an immigrant chef. 
and uh, this book was a purchase to donate to Vibha, a nonprofit that I support. And this is a story of an immigrant with big dreams and a very non-traditional career choice of being a chef. Uh, so I love the book. Um, so that's one. The second one um, is The Purple uh, Lotus. It's by a local Atlantan, uh, Veena Rao, mm. who runs the NRI uh, Pulse. And that is a story of an immigrant woman coming with arranged marriage, abusive relationship, breaking through and finding her journey. So again, very close to what I do, what I believe in, and again, our topic today. And the third one is Unjudge Your Teenager. I have a teenager, mm. and this is by Rajat Sony, and I've known uh, Rajat personally, and I've used his consulting services. And I again, close to my heart about whole child development, and I know the author, I love the book, and uh, I think these three were fantastic purchases in, you know, among all the boxes I got from Amazon. Yes. <laughs> so... That's, that's awesome. That's so great that there are books that people that you know that wrote and then that touched you in this last year. Absolutely. So I think that's going to be my, you know, my best purchase in the year. So that's amazing. Yeah. Mine, mine was an air fryer. Um, <laughs> Instapot too. Yeah, Instapot, yeah. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. Okay. So I feel like I know you now. I feel like we're family. Um, <laughs> oh, so today what I really want to talk to you about is women in the workplace. Uh -huh. And before we really talk about, you know, the solutions or any kind of proposed uh, policy changes or whatever you want to make, I want to talk about what is the problems that we're facing right now. Um, because the whole point of this podcast is to figure out what has changed in the last year? What did COVID do? What did the renewed interest in diversity and inclusion do? Um, and what has, you know, kind of stayed the same? things are kind of in flux right now. So I want to talk to an expert about what is the state of the world right now for women in the workplace? Yeah, a great question, um, Neha, to start with. I think one of the key things, and it's a well-talked about topic, right? Mm -hmm. um, women, gender equality and inequality or gaps in wages and gaps in opportunities for women in general uh, has uh, has been talked about in the last five, six years more so than, than ever before. Um, but I think what COVID highlighted is not just that inequality or gaps, but it also highlighted that so many women had to sort of stay back and take care of family first and were affected by whether it's layoffs or things like that much more than the men were. I think that's number one. The second one on the opposite end were many women were able to take work because it became remote. So that sort of brought some additional opportunities where women could take up roles that could be remote, but it impacted people who had to go into the office or were service-based. You know, you're talking about saloons and, uh, you know, places where women uh, would be the earners of the house or family, but they couldn't be in the service place because they had to be in person. So it sort of highlighted a lot of the gap that we see in general, but also gave opportunities in different places. So um, again, I feel like COVID has just brought the whole equity, equality discussion to the forefront and how we can make that better. So um, does that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. I, I think that what you talked about br brings up these issues that women are 100% uh, tied to the fate of their family. Like when things like staying at home for the kids or childcare or house care, whatever comes up, women are the ones who end up doing all of that labor. Mm -hmm. um, so they, you know, and 
of course, not all women, you know, everybody's circumstances are different, but it's really tied into the role of family. Mm -hmm. And as um, so we're both Indian. Right. And I feel like the role of Indian women in their families is also very um, it's it's a huge part of the identity. It's something that we think about. It's something that our parents tell Mm -hmm. us about, talk to us about a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe can you tell me a little bit about your experiences and your challenges of as being an Indian woman and then um you know like what yeah what types of stereotypes or you know challenges did you run into um yeah being an Indian woman Mm -hmm. trying to be in the workplace yeah yeah um definitely and I want to go back to uh, sort of the you know the the point you raised about our social conditioning Mm -hmm. right uh we are taught that women have a certain role to play in the family and irrespective of the education levels that we achieve or our desires to work and be successful in whichever way we define success to be or happy to be, we are still conditioned to think that family first. We are still conditioned to think that marriage is where happiness is and that's where your destiny is. So I think that I'm hoping to see a lot more changes in the generations, you know, your generation, Neha, and, and, and the ones to come. Uh, but that's still been the social conditioning that we've gone through. I did grow up in a very um, non-conservative family, non-traditional family. And I was, I don't remember being told that you are a woman and you have to do certain things, certain ways. Uh, in fact, I stepped out of my home for my further education, dental surgery. And I left my town, small town, to be in Mumbai, which is a very cosmopolitan, you know, melting pot of cultures and all of things. Uh, and um, and the dental surgery that they started, you know, at the age of fifteen into college, and then fi- you know, were you, were you living on your own? I was. Wow. I was in a dorm. Okay, yeah, stayed in a dorm. But yes, and that was the time without any cell phones. Wow, uh, not smartphones. I'm talking cell phones. Yeah, so. <laughs> you know, yeah. I've only ever heard. Usually, it's yeah, like men have had these experiences of going and living in a dorm in India and like things like that. But I, you're honestly the first woman who I have met who went and like lived on her own at a young age in India. Like that's not, not a tradition. Yeah, not a usual thing. Yeah, it was not very uh, common in my time too. But my sister did that. She was older than me and she pursued medicine. So we both did that. So going back to your point, the social conditioning, like the family that I grew up with high emphasis on education we both were sisters Mm -hmm. despite the pressure on my parents to have a son uh, in the family they were like no we have two daughters and that's it Uh, so little different from I would say I don't want to call it the norm but the average expectation or bringing up of girls during that time Um, we were given full independence in terms of how we you know how we grew outside uh, of the home setting and uh, and battling through all the challenges that we saw as women outside so um, so that was a little different but coming to the U.S. after getting married I um, the focus was marriage the focus was raising the family and despite the educational level of being a dentist which is again a very independent profession I didn't really anticipate I would go into a workplace. Mm. So that was really different than if you were in an, um, you know, a technology background or an educational background, um, you know, or a medicine background where you could partner with others in a hospital setting or get employed. So my biggest challenge coming to the United States was my degree of dental surgery has no value. 
Wow. Yeah. So which meant I either redo my entire coursework and all of the, the books were the same. Believe me, the books were the same. The curriculum was very similar. Yet it required me to uh, to redo dental surgery here in the United States and get the licensure too. Wow. How did that make you feel when you came here <laughs> and you realized that all the education that you'd gone through was it, valueless? Yeah, it was um, it was. Uh, I wasn't surprised because when I knew I was going to the United States, I knew that that was we. I had a few colleagues and seniors from my dental school who had come here and had faced the challenge. So I did my research while I came here. And so I would say it was a choice I made given the circumstances and given the situation. And I, again, put family and marriage mm-hmm. at the forefront. Mm-hmm. All right. I was like, OK, I can figure this out when I get there. And um, and it turned it turned out that for me to pursue dental surgery meant I had to stay away from my spouse, mm-hmm. uh, either go to California, Chicago. So there were some universities that would waive certain set of requirements and uh, get me residency into dental surgery. But that would mean that I would be far away from my newly, yeah. you know. Uh, from your family family Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. so that was one of the choices i had or you know or we moved somewhere else and that was so again difficult choices to have again i think in my head that time it made sense to put the marriage or the family first and i chose not to pursue dentistry and i chose to do double masters mba and uh, masters in health management Again, with the with the lens that this is more of a global education, mm-hmm. and if I move from one state to another, or one country from another country, then I had a way to be independent. So I definitely made that choice, and I I own that choice in that sense to do that. But the challenge again was in healthcare management when I interviewed for my school. I was clearly told it's better for you to do a technological profession. Yeah or a clinical profession because that's where you saw a lot of immigrants especially of indian origin as opposed to a, a leadership management. or a management i see yeah a management or a leadership and mm-hmm. I, that was a very clear picture and a part of that picture was that to graduate and get a job placement from a university perspective international students in some of these curriculums may not get job placed and yeah. that is does not fare well either um but I found that to be a global degree. And I said, you know what, if I have to do something, I'm going to choose something that's more global in nature that does mm-hmm. not require me retraining and things like that. And I wanted to keep in touch with healthcare mm-hmm. because that was core to who I was in terms of service industry. And so definitely another challenge there. You know, you're in management now, things like that. Uh, um, and you said that building common ground and working hard were kind of the main ways that you did it. Were there any other you know, challenges that you had to overcome, you know, kind of going into management. And then now that you're in management, how do you see the culture around you? You know, do you do you see yourself as a culture changer? Do you want to, um, you know, I mean, how like because before we talked about, you know, it's a kind of a lonely place. Mm -hmm. Right. And not everybody can work four times harder or, you know, get that education, whatever. So it's a lonely place. Like how, what do you do now, now that you're kind of up, up at the top? Like, you know, what, what's Mm -hmm. your goal now? Mm -hmm. I think it's definitely become easier in many ways because people have, you know, and we define success when you say successful women, I know we define success in a very uh, traditional way of ranking and titles and things like that. And 
it may not be success for others like everybody defines differently but from a title perspective or ranking perspective yes you may say so and i uh, became my first sort of executive role was almost at the age of 34 35 right uh and it's been 10 years in leadership positions in the healthcare industry education definitely helped mm-hmm. because that pushed me up suddenly i had two masters and an mba that definitely pushed high uh coming from a clinical background uh you know into healthcare space gave me a connectivity with clinicians and like it or not their association of bias of thinking that i'm a tech i would be a technology person like a techy or tech savvy that was an assumption i had not used a computer before because dental surgery never needed me to <laughs> that's a different story but just that assumption actually helped me because my first key role was bridging the gap between clinicians and the technology folks and finance those are number very objective and clinical is a very soft skill and being a liaison between the two was sort of my first break into saying oh she has something different to offer you know and i look back and i felt like that was the differentiator is my skills and believe it or not having to do math all our lives yeah <laughs> times tables and, yeah. yeah all of those things <laughs> were sort of a bridge into the clinical techy world of mine and i that that helped what's changed now is become much easier but it's become harder in other senses people see the ranks and titles and feel that successful she can deliver all of that but when you look at as you grow into these positions there's less and less women yeah less women of color this is my first time in my current role where i do have a boss or manager who is a woman of color as well wow congratulations so super excited yeah. about that <laughs> yeah super excited but that's a very rare thing um how much know, so how much of a difference does that make for you and what you know why why does that make such a big difference it makes a big difference because uh, now i feel like okay i can be that first i had to think about it and i you know in in all honesty neha it's very different when you are in a cultural setting where you don't see many women in executive positions right and in your in your social circle if you will at work you don't see them and if you do see them they're not women of color and uh to me seeing that is very refreshing and it also gives me hope that yes that's possible and i see her working hard smart and she's smart and she works hard all of that and just puts a lot more hope and faith in me that yes if i did so it will be it will pay off at some point you know um it changes the dialogue altogether it changes how it just changes the entire mindset your personal mindset yeah. and everybody else's because now it's acceptable to see women of color yeah. lead the organization it's kind of like what you were saying before about people want security and mm-hmm. then seeing somebody who looks a little bit more like you gives you that security. Yeah. It is it is awesome and gives you a sense of belonging comes back. Yes. And you don't have you don't have to feel different. You're unique in your own way, individualistic in your own way, but you don't have to completely feel out of place. Yes. It just makes it more um but the challenges as you grow is less and less women you see and um less women of color. So that's challenging there. I I will say that as um you know I mean we we have different experiences because you come from India I was born here That's like right. things like that and and I was always really confused my whole life trying to figure out what should I do right, right. and and cuz the problem is is that you know I'm very connected to my family yeah. and my culture and things right. like that um and obviously but but I'm in a totally different country than what where they grew up so I have to you have to I have to make my own choice right about what 
what parts of my Indian culture do I say yes the, the you know I'm willing to do this differently from Americans I'm gonna do it you know the way that my parents taught me whatever and then sometimes kind of look and be like I'm not going to do this. I, I don't want to do this with you. Like, you know, and, and it, the freedom that I have is that freedom of choice. Yes. I think. And that, and that yes. has been really great. And it's been really great to see examples like yourself, you know, of people who are, who are doing it, doing whatever they want. Um, and yeah, not worrying about the, you know, what, what will society say or whatever? Yes. Because yeah, you, I mean, you've emigrated, you, you've immigrated away from, you know, it doesn't matter. Like yes. you're in a completely new place. We can, invent our identities here yeah and there's so much to offer in the world and the and the choices that we've made even as parents for the next generation that we made the choice to move to a place where we thought that the freedom of choice existed the same norms did not exist of course we still have love for where we grew up and the culture and tradition that doesn't go but uh, at the same time we made the choice so we need to make best of both worlds and it's a unique place to be it's a beautiful place to be because you could make best of both worlds and I definitely different challenges for your generation. Yeah, I, I hear you. It's conf- I, it can get confusing. It can get confusing. <laughs> I think it's it's a whole other podcast episode to really Absolutely. kind of break down all of the different, um, you know, different experiences and things like that. And especially because, I mean, you're a non-traditional person. I consider myself a bit of a non-traditional person as well. You know, I mean, uh-huh. it's when you look at all of the different choices that people have made, it's, it, it's, very, it's very fascinating. And I think all the time, I'm like, how did I end up here in Atlanta, <laughs> Georgia? You know, I think about where my grandparents were and then thinking, about you know where I am right now it's like yeah life is full of mysteries and choices (laughs) absolutely and I think here's the thing too right the more people come out and do different things the more acceptable it becomes I know we talk about the more women we see as leaders the more acceptable it becomes for a woman to make that choice it's similar in different so as more and more people break through those norms or you know, the traditional way of whatever we, we've decided that is right, the more acceptance the society is going to have for different things. And that's what I'm seeing now. Um, and it's it's nice to see that, you know, that, uh, really you is. know, so we are respecting differences. We are respecting different choices. So yeah. we need to do more of that. Definitely. I feel empowered right now. I feel I feel ready to go and yeah, just go <laughs> smash some walls. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> um, OK, so circling back to work and workplaces and things like that. So we talked about how you can empower yourself on an individual level, you know, make your choice, have the courage to break free of norms and things like that. How does that relate to the workplace and how can we empower women to 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 be to feel powerful in the workplace? Uh, that's a great question. I think, uh, you know, there are a couple things that I've learned through this, right? One is that empowerment is a safe space. So you, it's a combination of yourself and the space that you are in. So if you're in not a place where you can be yourself, then you're in the wrong place, right? You can try to change, but that takes a lot more energy. It takes a lot of advocacy and takes... Again, you need support to do that or sponsorship to do that. So you need to find a place or a workplace that lets you be you in your whole self. And I'll, I'll share a couple of things from my past where I've done Indian classical dance. And I actually did not share that at workplace because I wasn't sure how that's going to be accepted. But that's me. That's part of who I am. And I've learned so many skills from that. Uh, volunteer work, you know, things like that, that I kept away from work that I'm now openly saying this is me. Right. I wish I had not. I had done that and I had chosen workplaces 
that allowed me to be me. And I'm not saying they did not, but there was a fear in my own thing that I wouldn't be accepted. Yeah. Right. Because I was different. Um, so I would say in the workplace, you have to, first of all, understand if that is the right workplace for you. You can be yourself. That's number one. That's where you're empowering yourself to make that choice. Um, the second piece I would say is that uh, when you are trying to be in a leadership position, and this is what I've learned, there is a bias of what we think who leaders can be. There's a certain set of norms or a certain set of behaviors or characteristics that we place on leaders. They have to be, let's say they have to be well-spoken. They have to be authoritative. You know, we just have this biases. I'm not saying explicitly, but they have to be assertive. And a lot of the times we thought when we didn't see women leaders that they have to behave like men. You know, again, some of these things were not very explicit, but that I, what I've come to learn is you be you, you have something very unique to offer and you be you, you be authentic, you assertive is not as important as being effective. And you may have a different way of being effective. You may be a people person, you may choose your battles differently. So finding your own strengths as a person, you need to find what your own strengths are and see if those strengths can be leveraged as a leader. You know, so that is key versus trying to model, oh, he and she is the leader and I want to be like them. And believe me, I've done that too because that was the only way for me. But now that I've come through, I'm like, I have a different style. I may not be a fighter or assertive as much as I want to be, but I'm still effective, right? And I'm making my choices of how I want to deliver this. And that's different. So again, being effective is more important than a certain characteristics that makes us successful. As far as workplaces are concerned, I think there is a lot of material out there. You know, wages, uh, empowering women with the same wage. Uh, and they're, you know, Leanin is a great organization. And I do go back to creating my own education and awareness to Leanin, um, where they have defined six biases at workplace. You know, there is a bias for, um, you know, sort of. Um, gender biases associated with it. There's a likability bias where women want to be liked more than, you know, you know, just we want to be liked by everybody because we're people persons, right? So Social conditioning. Social conditioning. Again, you have to please everybody, right? Mm -hmm. And um, there's a likability bias. There is an, uh, a performance bias. So how can we bring objectivity to growth versus subjectivity? The more subjective the performance criteria is, the less... Chan the, the more chances of biases coming into play and the less chances of women getting a chance. So we have to be, workplaces can create a very objective performance criteria that allows anyone who achieves that criteria to be, you know, promoted. Um, employers can look at wage differences across and that data is available to them. So I don't see why they couldn't do it. They could look at, you know, they could look at wages, they could look at the, you know, um, the the division or the distribution of men versus women, women of color, men of color, all of those things, the data is available. So I can't see why workplaces, if they choose to be intentionally look at this and make it a fair ground that is based purely on performance, is the skill set of the individual versus the gender or the ethnicity of the individual. There's a lot of work happening in that area. The other piece I would say is that women resource groups are being formed in the organizations. Mm -hmm. One issue I have with some of them is if the men are not participating in those, there is no point. Like, yeah. 
we can discuss a hell out of this topic, right? But if there's nobody who's listening, if they're not involved, if they're not bought in, then we are not going to make a difference. So we do need to empower men to <laughs> empower women. Yes. They are afraid of this topic, right? Because yeah. it seems like there's, but there's not anything to be afraid of, right? Yeah. That bias has to go out of men's head mm-hmm. to participate actively in this. And I'll mention a couple things here. Like, for example, women in technology, um, the WIT, um, they have an award for men who, you know, mentor or encourage women. Wow. Which is great wow. because now you see men being praised for encouraging women. Yeah. And now that they have broken that bias. So you'll see more men doing it. Yeah. Right. It's about changing behaviors. And it is about changing yeah. behaviors and beliefs, right? right? Your behaviors come from your beliefs and changing that belief system and rewarding, you know, good behavior in that sense is, is going to change that. So there's some of these things that can be done at the workplace. Uh, there's maternity bias, right? You're mm-hmm. a woman, you need to take care of child. I'm a single mother. So if that bias is coming in, anybody who wants to give me a good project, that's not their choice to make. I can say no if I can't handle it, but that's not your choice to make. Yeah. You know, whether I'm pregnant, not your choice to make. You give me what you would give anybody else, I will figure it out. Just that. But we need to empower and educate more men and workplaces, even women, um, to be aware of these things and then create tools to make it acceptable for some of this behavior and belief changes. Yeah, that was amazing. I, I wish I could send this podcast to every <laughs> manager <laughs> in in America right now. Yeah, um, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank yes. you so much. I uh, yeah, um, Vindali, if where can people reach you if they want to be coached by you or you know if they have anything to talk to you about? Where where can people reach you? Well, uh, I can give my email address. So um, my email address is very simple. It's vindali at yahoo.com. So if they want to reach me or LinkedIn is a great way to connect professionally. I'm happy to uh, talk to people and, and help them with their journeys uh, through mine. So yeah, there you go. Wonderful. Thank you so much, everybody. Um, and see you on the next episode of Building Our Vision.